Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, if you are new here, like he said, we just want to welcome you. Uh, I am glad to be back with you this weekend. Just want to give a huge shout out to uh, Luke and Laura and the team. Uh, they just did a great job last week. Give them a round of applause. I, uh, I got to sleep in on Sunday, which is a weird thing for me, but uh, we, we had a great time away. My wife and uh, Jocko and I took off and, and had a little breather. So thank you. Thanks for those of you who prayed. Uh, we are excited to jump into this series, Open House. And what we're going to be talking about, as David said, is really, uh, why do we do the things we do? Um, sometimes people come into Bridgewater and go, oh, you're weird. You're not like the church I grew up in. Or um, you, you show up and you wonder why we're in a warehouse and there's no steeple. Apparently, steeples are bad luck. I don't know if you heard about the church in South Montrose that got struck by lightning and burned down. We've been praying for our office building to be struck by lightning because we could really use a new one. <laughs> And we should have prayed more specifically about which steeple got struck in Montrose because it was the wrong one. So um, anyway, uh, we are just excited to be a part of what God is doing. And, and if you're here, maybe you've been here for a while, um, some of the things we do can become maybe dull or rhythmic and we can miss some of what God is doing and why we believe we're doing uh, the work of the Lord and, and how we go about that. And if you're uh, just starting to join Bridgewater, we want you to not be an outsider. We want you to be part of what God is doing here because things like that, are why we're here. Those carnations, those baptisms, we're here not because we love church. We're here because we love Jesus, and Jesus loves the church and calls us to the church. And so uh, we're going to be unpacking a bunch of things over the next couple weeks. Uh, this week, what we're looking at, uh, we're just calling it the foundation. What is the foundation of Bridgewater Church? What is the foundation, or should the foundation be, of any church that you attend, regardless of whether God moves you on to another place? Um, this will be a filter for you to determine if this church is going in the direction that God would call us to go. And so the foundation, as you know, in any house is incredibly important. You can have a great-looking house with a terrible foundation, and it's a bad house. You can have a, a house with a good foundation and bad siding or a bad driveway, and it's still a good house. But with a bad foundation, the house is almost always lost. Unless you're incredibly skilled and want to go rebuild that foundation, you're probably going to walk away from it. When my wife and I were trying to buy a house, uh, we did what everybody does and waste their evenings on Zillow, looking at houses you can't afford. Has anybody noticed any house hunters lately? That like after about a week, you're like 20, 30 grand past your budget. And then you're like, but maybe it just never works. And then you go back to in your budget and then you're depressed. Anyway, so you're looking through there and we found a house. We're like, man, this house looks great. This is this, I think this is the one, six acres. It was nice space with this beautiful, great room in it. Um, it was in my budget, which kind of threw me off, but I was like, all right, whatever, we'll go look. And we're walking through, and this is great. We brought friends, we're at the realtor, and I, I know enough to go down to the basement. So I went into the basement, and it looks pretty good, but there was an addition, and so I go over into the addition, and I see daylight in the basement, and there's no windows. <laughs> Uh-oh. So I go over to the corner, and the block foundation is literally separated from the house. The, the whole corner is at least four inches away from the rest of the foundation. And I was sitting there like looking outside like, oh, it's a nice backyard, but I shouldn't see it through the foundation. So I come back up and I say, hey, Liv, this, this house is lost. Let's move on. Let's keep going. She's like, what? Well, it's got a bad foundation. Oddly enough, they called us back two days later and said the foundation's fixed. And I said, super glue doesn't dry that quick. Like, it's just, sorry, you didn't fix the foundation in two days. Anyway, so you know that a house with a bad foundation is a bad thing. And so it is true with the church. We don't want to be a church that looks good on the outside and has nice paint, but is built upon a bad foundation. And we believe that God has made the foundation of any church explicitly clear. 
Now, unfortunately, there's churches who don't always get the foundation right, and perhaps even in certain decisions, we may miss that foundation, but we want to come back and center ourselves and say, okay, what is the thing that God has called us to build his church on? Because it's not our church, it's his. It's not our idea, it's his idea. And it really is, comes down to just one thing. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. If you could do anything in this life, you had all the power, all the resources to do whatever you wanted, what would you want to accomplish? Maybe it'd be build a hospital. Maybe you would want to end world hunger. Maybe you would want to build the biggest business that could ever exist. You want to adopt every orphan out there. If you could do it and not fail, what would you aspire to? Now, that's a great question to think about, but in reality, failure is always a possibility for all of us, but it's not possible for God to fail. See, God has never failed. And in fact, in Matthew 28, this is what Jesus says about his ability and his power. Here's what he says. Then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? Uh, I missed that verse. I apologize. It is in your text there, Matthew 2018. Uh, then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. What is he saying? He's saying that he has the ability to never fail at anything. So Jesus could have come to his disciples, and, and you're going to have a command from him to go make disciples, but he could have come and said, go, go start a business. Well, that business would have succeeded. It would have been the best business out there. He could have said, go end world hunger. He could have said, you saw me feed the 5,000, so you go feed the 5,000. He could have, and it would have happened. He could have come in, and like the Jews hoped at the time, said, go build an army. And you know what would have happened? They would have conquered the world because Jesus couldn't fail. But here's what the guy who has all power and all ability does. He starts a church. Now, why would you start a church? <laughs> you could do anything. And he starts a church. What I find so interesting is Jesus' commitment to change the world was done through this. Now, not this building, but this organism, this group of people who are to be followers of Jesus. Now, a, a church is interesting because people dog on them all the time, right? And besides your local politician, nobody probably gets dogged on more than a church. I'm sure some of us probably have good reasons to dog on church, but here's what's interesting. Jesus never changed his commitment to the church. It's called the Bride of Christ. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us that Jesus died for the church. He, he loves the church. And, and so the mission hasn't shifted away from the church. It is still the church. Now, what I always find interesting as I think about the church and the bride of Christ is if I were to call you and say, hey, um, you want to come over for dinner tonight? And you said, um, well, I don't know. Is your wife going to be there? Yeah. I don't cook very well, so yeah. I just I got a problem with your wife, so I'm not, I'm, I just can't come over. I got a problem with your wife. You know what's going to happen? We're going to have a problem, right? And yet, there seems to be this conception where we can come to God and God says, yeah, come. Okay, but I got a bride. You, you good with my bride? No, I really can't stand your bride. Okay, well, then we, we have a problem. See, there's a commitment that God is calling of believers to the church. It's the same commitment that God is calling or that God has showed himself to the church that we would love and serve and sacrifice for something that is imperfect, that we would love and serve and be a part of something that is God's mission and commission to change the world. Now, I believe that God's already doing that. 
Clearly, he's already doing that. So we're going to unpack today what it is that as you work through these, these things that Jesus is going to call him to do, what is the thing that he makes primary? So here's what he says. I have all power and everything. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, the one job we've been given as a church isn't to go build great music stands and isn't to build uh, great sermons. It's, it's really not that. That's, those are tools we use. But the biggest thing is to go make disciples. And so Jesus wants you to do one thing with your life, to go make disciples. Say, so, well, I'm called to the business sphere. That's awesome. You're called to go make disciples in the business sphere. I'm called to schools. Well, that, that's awesome. You're called to go make disciples in the schools. Well, I'm retired that's awesome. We're jealous. You're called to go make disciples wherever God has sent you, snowbirds, right? We are always going to carry with us as believers the mantle of making more and better disciples. Now, what's a disciple? Because a disciple is a word you don't hear a lot of. Well, a disciple is somebody who's called to follow God regardless. They're, they're called to hear what God has to say and begin to mimic and follow who it is that God is. So this is what Jesus spent his entire life doing. Uh, on earth. He, he spent his time developing in people, and he spent three years pouring into 12 guys. Now, he could have spent three years preaching to the masses, and he did, but if you read what Jesus does, he preaches to the masses, but he then gets quiet, and he disciples the 12. They, they used to kind of call Christians before we got kind of new names, but it was this idea of a little Jesus, or Jesus follower, that they were to emulate and model who Jesus was. So at Bridgewater, we have uh, called our mission statement this. We, we believe we exist to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We believe that God has called us to this one job. And so everything we do here is filtered through making more and better disciples of Jesus. The songs we pick, the sermons we preach, how we design our kids' wing, how we run our cafe, the events we run, they are all designed for the one purpose, not to build Bridgewater, but to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Because we believe without this foundation, we're just playing church, not being God's people. This is the, def the deciding factor between following God and doing our own thing. So how do you then make disciples? Well, Jesus actually tells us right in this text what it is that we need to do. So let me read verse 19 again to you. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, the first thing we have to do is go. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, we need to go. Now, what does go mean? Go means for some of us, we just need to walk across the street and talk to our neighbor. And you go to somebody at our workplace and begin to have a conversation with them about the Lord. Going is half the battle. <laughs> because without going, it's not an awkward conversation. <laughs> Before you go, you're comfortable. Before you go, you're kind of where you want to be. But Jesus' commission to his disciples was get up out of your comfort zone and go. He says, I'll read this verse to you again. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. See, now, where's going to, though? Is it just your neighborhoods? Is it just? Well, see, Jesus also makes that incredibly clear in Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells us specifically where he wants them to go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. So he didn't want to leave the disciples thinking that when they went across their neighbor to their neighbor, it was enough. 
There was a full layer uh, explanation of how they were supposed to reach. And so you probably don't know Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and the ends of the earth and what that necessarily means. So we'll bring it into context because it's what drives everything we do about how we plant new campuses. So here, here's a map that as we look at, um, these are where all of our locations are. Uh, here's Halstead. This is about a 20-minute radius. So we believe if you drove within 20 minutes or so, you're in what we would call our Jerusalem. That is, as a Halstead campus, that is our focus. This is the community we're trying to impact. This is the, the region we're trying to reach. Now, if you drove from outside of that, we still love you. We're not kicking you out. Don't worry. Um, but everything we do missionally is driven to influence and affect this circle. So that's why we got colored pencils and pouches, not necessarily because we love colored pencils, but we love our school, and our school is in our community, and our school is in our Jerusalem. We feel called to go make more and better disciples within our school, which is why some of you are teachers there, which is why we love serving the school, because we believe God wants to use us to leverage uh, our position to influence the school. It's why we do the outreaches we do. It's why we run a VBS, not because we love VBS, but because we love the kids that live within this sphere. It's why we do all of our outreaches that we do. Why? to make more and better disciples in Jerusalem. So everything we do, we want to filter through uh, the lens of that. But, but even beyond what we would call Jerusalem, we have Judea. So Judea is basically the region that we are called to reach. So this is why we want to work as a network of churches, because we believe life is better connected. Hey, we're learning. That's great. I love it. Life is better connected, because together... We can do more than we could ever do independently. Together, this Sunday, every campus gets to celebrate that flower from what God did here. Well, that may inspire someone to go across the street to their neighbor and have a conversation with them and invite them to church. It's why we want to be um, in every school. It's why we want to be teachers. Why we, we want to be coaches. It's everything we think about. If you sit in a staff meeting, is okay, but does that help us make more and better disciples? Does it help us reach lost people? Does that help us lead people to know Jesus better? And in this region, it's so cool to, to run into somebody over here who goes, oh, yeah, I know. I go here. Oh, yeah, well, I go here. Oh, yeah, well, I brought my neighbor from here. Do you think it would be better if they went there? Yeah, let's send them there because that's where they live. That's their Jerusalem. Maybe they could reach their community there. So we're, we love working together. But I want you to see what it means when Jesus says go because go always costs us something whether it's our comforts or whether it's our people. So in 2011, uh, when uh, God had grown the Montrose campus to the point where it needed to either start a fourth service or move on, they decided to send 50 people down here to Halstead. And some of you, raise your hand if you were on that team. Anybody see we got the Galloways? A few others that were here right from the beginning. Yeah, the Galloways are holding strong, all right? 50 people. Guess what that 50 people has grown into? Let's throw it up there. You just throw all the numbers up there. At Easter, we had 475. How does Montrose lose 50 people and it become 475? Well, then uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Montrose sent another 25 people to South Vestal. Well, they were 317 at their last Easter service. So Montrose is losing more people, and yet God has continued to grow it. Then Halstead, uh, there was a group here that wanted to be generous and, and go, believe that God called them to Conklin, so they sent 75 people to Conklin. Well, Easter, they were 446 people. How did Montrose lose 50, and we lost 75, and yet, see, this is God math. It's not human math. It's God math. Where God says go, and we say, okay, 
And then uh, they send another 80 people to Tonkanic, and they're sitting at about 300 at this last Easter service. What was really cool, actually, as we were kind of looking through these numbers, is in, uh, when they sent that group down to Tonkanic, so this was about 2016, in, from the time from 2016 to this year, there have been 93 people who have gotten saved at Tonkanic alone, and 58 people have been baptized. Come on. What would have happened if in 2011, God said go when we said no? What would have happened if we said, no, we like our comforts? No, 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 we don't want to go. We want to grow. There's 98 people there alone, let alone all the people who've come to know Jesus through there. Now, I'm not saying this to say that we've done it perfect or we're the best. All I'm saying is that when you obey God, he does incredible things through us. When you obey God and go, he just shows up. It's amazing how he keeps his promises. The next, uh, in um, Acts chapter 1-8, said Samaria. Well, Samaria is basically a cultural or regionally different group of people than um, who the Jews were. They, they kind of stood opposed um, culturally and for a lot of reasons. Um, so for us, as we look at that, that's who in our region is culturally different than us. And so primarily the second largest um, cultural difference would be um, the... Uh, What's the proper term here? I want to get this right. Uh, Hispanic-speaking community. Okay, I want to make sure I said that properly. Hispanic-speaking community, which is huge within the Scranton region. So in 2018, there was a couple who came and said, we have a heart for the Spanish-speaking community. And so they, uh, last year, or about last year in the pandemic, actually went and launched a church uh, for Spanish-speaking individuals in Glacier Electric City Church. And Lisa was just down there. Uh, Frank said he was down there. Bob Kedlisic was down there. And they have 40 people there from six different nations. They just got to see a bunch of people get baptized the other day. Well, what is that? That's the Great Commission. That's making more and better disciples in Samaria. Everything we do is filtered through that. And then there's the ends of the earth, as said in chapter 1-8, which is why we have our 12 global partners, why we commit and partner with 12 people, or 12 groups, or 12 ministries who are all around the world doing the same exact mission, making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. So besides going, the next thing we're called to do is baptized. So here's what it says. I therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and, in the Holy, and of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to go make disciples, we can't just make people who verbally commit to Jesus in silence. The reason Jesus calls people to, or tells us to specifically baptize is because baptism is a public declaration that Jesus has saved my life. And that movement of Jesus is carried on when you and I publicly declare that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Not privately, not secretly, because the best kept news shouldn't be a secret. If there's nothing to be ashamed of of the gospel of Jesus in Romans, so he says, go baptize them. Now, it's been cool to watch how God has used Bridgewater in this way because we do things a little different around here if you haven't seen how we do baptisms. Um, but we don't have pastors baptized necessarily. We will, but um, we ask somebody when they're getting baptized, hey, who would you like to baptize you? And they usually pick somebody who's been significant in their life or significant in their spiritual walk. Now, why do we do that? Because we don't believe the Great Commission is for pastors alone. We believe it's for every follower of Jesus. So when Jesus said, go make disciples and baptize them, he didn't say, go uh, talk to somebody, lead them to your pastor, let your pastor baptize them, and let your pastor save them. No, no, no. He said, you, as a follower of Jesus, go make disciples. And so we want to give that opportunity to anybody who would come and want to make a disciple of Jesus. 
And so in the last year, because of COVID, it's been interesting. A lot of churches have really struggled to see people come to know the Lord and get baptized. But I want you to see these numbers because even in an incredibly difficult year, here's what God did in this last year. 98 people have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior this year alone. 78 have become baptized in this last year. In a year when church was shut down, the gospel wasn't stopped. In a year when church wasn't allowed, the gospel kept moving. Church, there's great news in that Jesus is committed even in the hardest of times because that's 98 eternal destinies that have been changed. That's 98 souls who are going to meet their Savior one day. That's incredible. And we want to just say thank you for being a part of what God is doing. The last thing that he says is, is this. To make disciples, you must teach them to obey. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is what he's telling his disciples. If you're going to make followers, you can't just make somebody who knows about God. You can't make somebody who's a flash in the pan. We have to lead people to know and understand what it is to obey God. Now, here's what I find so interesting about what Jesus says. He doesn't say, go teach them to understand everything I've taught you. Go teach them to be able to memorize everything I've taught you. He says, you need to teach them to obey everything I've taught you. See, we believe that God has called us not to teach you the Bible for head knowledge, but for heart transformation. So um, you'll hear from time to time, if you come around, that sometimes people will say, well, Bridgewater's teaching just is kind of shallow, right? If somebody leaves Bridgewater, it's usually because I hear the phrase, oh, Bridgewater's teaching is shallow. Well, what does that mean? Well, then they say, well, I just... I went to this other church, and it was really, really deep. And I said, you know what? That's awesome. We believe in deep teaching, too. And I would argue that we have really deep teaching, but maybe we've misinterpreted what deep means. Because deep in this context doesn't mean that you went through the tabernacle and you understand what that cloth means, though that's important. It may not even mean that you could memorize a, a certain Ten Commandments in the proper order. It, what does it mean? Deep means obedience. So I don't really care if you know what cloth the tabernacle was made out of if your marriage is falling apart. I don't really care what high-level learning you're doing if your life's a train wreck. I don't really care what your knowledge level is if you're openly living in sin. See, we believe that this commission says we've been called to help people understand how to obey Jesus because in our obedience to Jesus is life. In it is truth. In it is full joy, life abundant, as John 10, 10 tells us. So, so we want to go deep, but I want to go deep into your life. And I want to challenge you, and I want to speak words to you that when you go home on Monday, it changes how you treat your kids. It, it changes how you make choices around your work environment. It changes how you handle your money. So yeah, I want to go deep, but I want you to know what it means to follow Jesus. If I were to summarize um, what we believe around teaching, it's this. If you don't live it, you haven't learned it. If you, if you can quote things, but you don't know how to live things, I would argue you haven't learned it. And here's why I make this statement so profoundly. Because listen to what Jesus says. Let's throw this up here. Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on 
the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who's built his house on sand. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. What, what did Jesus just say there? He says, you're a fool if you hear God's words and understand them alone. What? <laughs> you're a fool if you hear it and understand it alone? Yeah, he says, you're a fool if you know what's true and you don't live it. If you know what's right and you don't put it into practice, it's a bad foundation. So Jesus is saying, and he says this in other places, he would rather his church be full of kindergartners in knowledge who obey entirely and completely and passionately rather than a bunch of doctorate-level individuals who obey with mediocrity. So it really comes down to whether we want to do the one command Jesus has called us to do. Will we go and make disciples of all nations? Because here's what obeying implies. Obeying implies understanding. So I'm not saying we want to be simplistic and not talk about the hard things. We talk about hard things here all the time. What I am saying is that if you're going to obey, it means you already know. Well, I may not know the exact chapter and verse of where something is found, but I know it's true of the character of God. Okay, well, that's going to change how I live my life. See, what we believe is that your obedience to Jesus is going to be, yes, taught, and we have programs on how to teach that, and we get into the Word, and we, we do those things. Why we have small groups? Because we believe in that moment, in those rooms, you're going to have conversations about what it means to apply the Word of God to your life. We think those are incredibly valuable. They start in September. Uh, but we believe it is often more caught than it is taught. Because you know you could come here, and you could hear a great teaching, but if you don't respect me, or if you don't respect my lifestyle, or if there's something in my lifestyle that discredits me, you're going to forget everything I ever taught you. It's just like when a trainer who's trying to give you nutritional advice, and they live on a steady diet of pizza, right? Their choices discredit them. So we believe it is a lifestyle that gives our words credence. And so it is true with you in your life, that your lifestyle gives credence to the message of making more and better disciples. Here's what Paul says in Philippians. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as, you have, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Here's what Paul's saying. You want to know how to follow Jesus? You want to know how to obey Jesus? Follow my example. Now, how terrifying of a statement is that? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but, but in your heart, can say, you know what, I honestly feel that if somebody were to look and, and follow everything I do, they would be closely following Jesus if they modeled their life after how I choose to live my life. Gulp. <laughs> right? If they looked at what I did last night, if they looked at what I did last week, if they looked at how I handled that situation, look at my example and follow me. Now that's terrifying, but here's what Paul is doing. He's revealing to us that we need to live a lifestyle of following Jesus if we're going to bring others to follow Jesus with us. And then it doesn't mean it disqualifies us if we're not there yet. It should encourage us to get our life there, to begin to adjust those things that are out of sorts, to begin to remove those things that don't look like Jesus from our life so that we could say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Because that's why we're here. Because not one of us has any special ability to change anybody's heart. 
It's Jesus and Jesus alone who does these things. Here's the kicker about this whole message. We could come and we could give you the best strategy on how to launch a new campus. We could give you the tools to go share the gospel with somebody. We could preach the best sermons you've ever heard in your life, probably at a different campus, but the best sermons you've ever heard in your entire life. And you could walk out of this room unable to do a single thing with it unless the Spirit of God shows up and does a movement upon people's hearts. We believe that Bridgewater's foundation is not on a strategy but on our Savior. That everything we do only happens when Jesus shows up and changes people's hearts. Nobody has any power to bring one of these on stage for what it really means, apart from God showing up and doing great things. There's that old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, All Other Ground is Sinking Sand, that apart from the movement of God, which is why we had a day of prayer, because we want to see God do great things in this community, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, into the ends of the earth, and we know we can't do it without him which is why I love how Jesus ends his great commission to his disciples in Matthew 28. After just telling them everything they need to do, he says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I haven't left you to go do this on your own. I haven't left you to go be perfect people that people follow. No, no, no. I've given you my spirit that you would go change the world. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you wish there was a thousand people here this morning? Um, I would bet most of you would probably be like, meh, I don't really like big churches. Meh, like, meh. But if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you have somebody that you wish was sitting next to you who's a brother, who's a sister, who's a relative, who's, who's a neighbor that you've been praying for, I would bet most of you would raise your hand and say, absolutely, I would want that person sitting next to me. Well, here's the deal. If everybody at Bridgewater had that person sitting next to them, we'd be a thousand-person church. See, we don't care about being bigger, but we care about that seat. We care about that person that you've been praying for. We pray for the person that you've been praying for to come to know Jesus because that's what it's all about. We exist so that your neighbor and my neighbor and your brother and my brother have an opportunity to hear the gospel and know what the love of God is through the church. So for you today, what's your next step? If you're in on the mission of making more and better disciples, who do you need to go to? Who, who is God calling you to get up out of your comforts and go? Maybe for you, the step is to get baptized, to, to go public with your faith, to declare who God is. Maybe for you, it's to lead somebody else who needs to get baptized and take their next step and have a conversation with them. Maybe for you, your next step this morning is to consider, is my lifestyle one that I could say, follow me, and you'll understand what it means to follow Jesus. And if not, what do you need to wrestle through with the Lord to get there so that you can be the person that God has called you to be as part of this church that God has called us to be, to change the world for the glory of God alone? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you, and, and we thank you so much. God, as we look at the numbers of people who have attended and we look at the number of people who have given their life to you, God, it, it brings joy to my heart to be a part of what you are doing, God. When I came to Bridgewater uh, those years ago, God, I, I, I stuck because I saw you doing something I haven't seen you do in a long time in a lot of other churches, God, and we don't want to take that for granted. God, we pray a blessing over every church 
in Halstead, over every church in this region, God, that you would do this same movement in all churches. God, we don't care what name is on the building. We only care what Savior is glorified in that place. Lord, we pray that you would uh, start and begin and continue a movement of reaching uh, your lost children through us, God. We pray for a bouquet full of carnations of lost people who've come to know you, God. We pray uh, that you would bring in those who need to take their next step in following you, God. We pray that these seats would be filled not for glory of anyone other than you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that if we ever uh, would move from our foundation of making more and better disciples of Jesus, God, that you would shake us, you would remind us, you would realign us with your heart, God. I pray for every heart in this room that they would have the courage to do what it is that you're calling them to do this morning. Give us a heart of obedience, God, as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of you, that we would grow in our obedience and our love and affection for your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.